The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Good afternoon to you all. It's 30th of May. It's just past the midday mark. My name is Chad Thomas, and you're listening to Confidential Brief. Joining us in a couple of minutes is South Africa's case law specialist, Louis Podbielski, and we're going to be chatting about case law, the importance thereof, and why it's so necessary to have an easy way of accessing it. Before we get to it, however, I want to chat a little bit about what's been in the news of late. If you've been listening to the show over the years, we've always said that there's a symbiotic relationship between public sector fraudsters and private sector fraudsters. And we've seen that now with the Busasa case. And last week, finally, we saw Trillion brought to the fore along with Transnet senior executives, where five people, both from Transnet as well as from Trillion, were charged in a multi-million rand fraud and corruption case. It looks like the ID is once again gaining momentum, and let's hope that they can maintain this momentum and we see far more of these high-profile cases in court. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. So today's a pretty uh, exciting interview for me. I get to chat to Louis Podbielski, and the reason why it's so exciting for me is about five, six years ago, I reached out to Louis. I was looking in the civil context for case law pertaining to contractors that had received funds from developers and other investors, completed the work. But the work was done by subcontractors and those subcontractors hadn't been paid. And whether there was case law to show that there was some form of theft or fraud that had transpired because that this money that they had received, although they were the primary contractor, in essence actually belonged in part to some of the subcontractors. And within hours, Louis sent me a complete list of different cases where this specific matter was discussed at length by the various judges. And of course, it was found that the contractors did have a responsibility and an onus to pay across funds to subcontractors. And in fact, were holding some of those monies virtually in a form of trust on behalf of those subcontractors. So for me, it's very exciting to chat to somebody who is so very popular on LinkedIn, has done so much for the world of case law and precedence in South Africa. And uh, yeah, it, it, it would be very remiss of me not to give you a bit of a background to what Louis's done the last couple of years. Louis was the managing editor at Juta with 10 years law reporting experience and was later headhunted by LexisNexis. There he spent four years pushing the boundaries of legal tech using artificial intelligence and analytics to innovate cutting edge case law products and features. I've always said this, he's South Africa's gift from the gods when it comes to case law. Louis, a very good afternoon to you, sir. Oh, thanks, Chad. Um, I've been really looking forward to this. And um, as you know from my other webinars, I, I, I just love talking case law. So, Louis, and, um, talking case law is what we want to talk about today. But for our listeners that may be unaware, that may not be from the legal fraternity, give them a brief introduction to what we mean when we talk about case law and precedent. Well, um, we are exceptionally lucky in South Africa. We, we by far have... <clears throat> the most interesting and fascinating and fast-paced case law in the world by far. So 
What what happens is, I mean, at the magistrate court, at that level, when they hand down a case, it's it's binding on those parties, and and it can be persuasive and interesting for us. But at the high court level, and and higher, um, Supreme Court of Appeal and Constitutional Court, and then we've got equivalent courts to the high court, like the Labor Court and Equality Court. Those uh, high court and and above, the the when when they hand down a judgment, it actually makes law. Um, it takes our common law further, and. It, it helps us interpret legislation, and, and in South Africa, we've got an abundance. And, you know, the, the reason our case law is so interesting is, is because we've got this unbelievably rich um, Roman-Dutch common law, and then plus it's got a smattering of English law in it as well. And that's been developed over the years in, in, a, in a completely unique situation in the dynamics of our country. And then on top of this... We've got a brand new, very modern constitution, and then we've got all kinds of legislation, um, often not seen anywhere else, you know, for BEE and, and for putting things right and, and hate speech legislation. And then on, and then we've got the most incredible disparities in, in economics and social issues, race issues. We've got state capture. Um, we've got scoundrel politicians running to court with all kinds of crazy issues and appeals. So, so our South African case law is is incredibly rich and 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 fast paced. Not not so long ago, I, I did a webinar with with labour expert Andrew Goldberg, and we covered a lot of overseas cases like Australia and Human uh, European Union. And, and I must tell you, Chad, they, they were unbelievably boring. I, I I really battled to engage with with those foreign judges because they've got too much time on their hands. Clearly, they they ramble. To, to, to write clearly, you need to think clearly. And, and I must say, um, I was so relieved to get back to our South African judges because our South African judges are overworked. They've seen it all, hey? They've seen it all. So, so in comparison to the overseas judges, our guys, they write really um, concisely, practically, and, and um, I must say our judges are extremely experienced on a whole lot of different issues and, and they write very well and, and we've got issues nobody else sees. That's that's why I just love case law um, because it's so fascinating. So for, for, for our listeners, I don't think they understand sometimes that for people such as yourselves, myself and others that are involved either in the legal fraternity or in the regulatory space, compliance or law enforcement, we regard the law as a living, organic being because it changes all the time. And when one looks at our constitution that you mentioned, we had our interim constitution in 93, the, the constitution we now abide by, the, the, the constitution that's in place came about in 1996. And with that came a whole lot of responsibility for new acts to come into being and old acts to be repealed so that the acts could be in line with that constitution. So, for example, when one looks at Section 14 of the Constitution, it talks about privacy. Then you go to Section 14D, it speaks about privacy from digital and electronic means. And we see acts that tie into that, whether it's the Electronic Communication Transactions Act or whether it's the RECA Act that everybody knows about. But we also look at Poppy now and we look at Paia. And I think for us what's so fascinating is that everybody thinks that because there's something in the Bill of Rights in respect to the Constitution that grants privacy aspects, 
like Section 14, they forget that in terms of Section 36 of the Constitution, there's a limitation to those rights, which is why they introduce these acts. And people such as yourself and myself wait for these acts to actually be tested in a court of law. So with that being said, we, we saw a couple of years ago, RICA was challenged. And more recently, we saw some journalists take RICA on, and it went as far as the Constitutional Court. Can you explain to our listeners why that was so important? Because it actually saw sections of RICA set aside, even though it was an act that was introduced after the new Constitution. No, that's why um, I, I think our, our you and I both love the case law for the same reason, is we get this legislation that's that you know it, it is carefully considered and worded and passed uh, well some of them are, are badly worded but it goes through a big process before it gets implemented but it's only it's only after it's passed and and it, it's our, our um attorneys and and your average joe soap starts engaging with it and and the companies start testing the boundaries and then we have these issues with the journalists and and privacy and then someone decides that hey this 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 isn't right and then they they go and test it in court and and sometimes oh you know we've got some great uh ngos and chapter nine institutions as well which have got our backs as citizens and which um take these to court so so the the, the these acts are large and they've got a lot of different sections so it it takes someone in extreme cases they'll they'll actually um a high court will will declare a certain section unconstitutional and invalid and then it'll go to the constitution for confirmation of invalidity or adjustment of that order but a lot of the time like you say the 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 the, the sections will get tested and then our our courts will interpret those and tell us how we're going to apply it so that they will tell us that a particular section uh will get interpreted this way or that way or you can or can't do this or you have to read this with another section another act or it has to uh, be be applied like for, for consumer uh, protection and and the notices that go to people that they often tied with um, the uniform rules of court so it really is this this massive massive big living breathing dynamic um organism that has to react to to society and and to our economy and business and um, I, I must say, um, you know, I, I spent 10 wonderful years at Lexus doing the sort of pure uh, monastic kind of law reports. And then four years at, at uh, Lexus where there's heavily tech orientated. But um, for almost a year now, I've um, been doing it, it by myself with um, Soyon. It's just the two of us now. And we are now, in, instead of just only processing um, reportable cases in the, in the law reports because the law reports have to choose about one or ten or even less to to actually fully treat in the law reports we we lately have been engaging with every single case that comes out and it's it's well over four thousand a year um in order to allocate them to our customers for for the custom case law topics the 48 and what i'm seeing i, I i've just been having epiphanies um lately about the, the, the other 90% of cases which traditionally are regarded as non-reportable, there's such value in that. And, and in, in the, there's, we have got masses of useful case law that's, that's slowly developing and giving guidance uh, across all areas A to Z. 
Well, I look forward to carrying on with the conversation a little bit later about that because, like you said, some are reportable, some are unreportable. When we come back, I want to talk about the crossover between what we've seen in terms of the criminal space and how court orders in the civil high courts have made such a massive difference when one looks at the regiment's case, for example, that had a poker order set aside, which has now been reinstated, and why it's so important for us to understand why these things happen and why it, it's a tool to learn from, especially going forward into future court cases. We're chatting to Louis about case law. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to Louis about case law. If you want to join the conversation, you can send us an SMS via 34519 or you can tweet us at HiFM. We got a message in from Marco the Gent. Marco, I really hope you are a gent. It says, I don't understand. We've got all these laws, but crime is so high in South Africa, especially violent crime, white-collar crime, and corruption. Well, Marco, it's a very good point that you make there. We have incredible legislation in South Africa. Sometimes it just isn't applied correctly. In some instances, it still needs to be tested. But understand that it's not just about the law, it's about the capacity of our law enforcers to be able to get those cases to court and for the prosecuting authorities to be able to exercise their mandates. One of those cases we chatted about, in fact, before going to the break, was where Regiment's Capital had a preservation order set aside in the High Court, but that later was reinstated. And that was a bit disappointing for a lot of people, Louis, because everybody thought, you know, the Asset Forfeiture Unit, so powerful, they operate under an act, the Provincial Organized Crime Act of 1998, and if they start getting involved in a case and they have a preservation order issued, it means that the case is getting somewhere. That case on a technicality had the, the order set aside. I believe if I, I speak under correction, but I think at that time, um, Hammy and Crenier hadn't issued a charge sheet in a timely period of time. But based on that, the order was set aside. It's subsequently been reinstated. I think... What concerns a lot of people in South Africa is they think we're a lawless state, that we're a failed state. They don't understand the beauty of the legislation we have and how all-encompassing it is. Yeah, um, Chad, I, I'm, I'm with you on this, and, and, and I, I feel for our viewer as well. I, I also am, am immensely uh, frustrated because our, our law is beautiful. We, we, we have, especially our criminal law, it, it's it's been so beautifully developed um and as we got a tiny bit of an exposure to it with um oscar pistorius and and the dolus but our criminal law is very pure from from the roman dutch uh times and it's been refined and and we've got our our famous writers virtual and snayman who who sort of uh split hairs on the finer points but but basically our our, our criminal law is pretty settled compared to um civil law, although we, we're still getting the most fascinating international uh, extradition cases come through. Um, we had one recently with, with those internet uh, scammers, romance scammers, the, the United States trying to extradite uh, a couple of them. And and, and I, I feel for that frustration because um, the NPA is terribly under-resourced. And and I also, I, I was, I also felt um, a, a, almost a personal blow uh, with those restraint orders, and and there, there's a there's a beauty in in the poker and the restraint orders because it actually falls in the civil law territory. Um, there is a bit of beautiful crossover, which which actually makes it nicer because of the standard of proof. 
And also they're going after just, uh, it can be quite quick and efficient to actually just lock and seize those assets. And, and whereas the criminal trials, as we know with, with Mr. Zuma and some of the others, uh, they can drag on incredibly long, but at least we've got this prevention of crime. It can be relatively quick, but you know, the problem Chad is, is that our NPA is, is vastly um, overstretched and under budget, budgeted. And, and also they, they've had 10 years of, of, of corruption and state capture where we had a lot of very, very dodgy people um, in positions of power in the NPA who did a lot of damage and, and a lot of highly skilled prosecutors left because they were so despondent or they got victimized. Anyone who tried to blow the whistle got horrifically victimized or they got sent out to be a prosecutor um, in the rural areas. And, and there, there were a lot of shenanigans, which I think is still going to come out. But there is hope, hey? I mean, look what happened um, recently with uh, Transnet. There have been some huge uh, big-name arrests. And I, I'm, I'm hearing through the grapevine that there's some more big-name arrests coming. And, and I think um, I, I just got a sense last week that I, I think the tide is turning. But on, on ground level, you know, we, we've got a very bad uh, conviction rate. It's only about one in 10 for murder from, from what I, the information I saw. And, and our, our rape uh, conviction rates are, are horrifically low. And, and that's, that's only on, on what is reported. And we, as we know, there's, there's a huge underreporting. Um, and I think for violent crime and robbery and other things, we, we almost, it feels sometimes like we're losing the battle. But I think with, with um, Chief Justice Zondo's um, state capture reports and, and the, the huge amount of evidence in there um, and, and the recent victories, um, I, I, I was feeling very despondent a few months ago because there were these failures and we, we had um, so many clear criminals still running around uh, in, in positions of power and government seemingly untouchable. But to me, uh, especially what's happening last week with Transnet, it, it, there is hope. M maybe the, the unseen in the NPA, the, the wheels have been turning because, yeah, I tell you, last year I, I was getting just out and out despair with the NPA that, that nothing seemed to be happening. It seemed to be in slumber. But um, certainly with last week, there, there, there does seem to be some uh, action and let's, let's hope for lots more. So I want to just touch on something you said there is the fact that we have a beautiful law. We have people that are keen to be able to put that law into into action and to execute. Now, we, we, we touched on POCA, the Prevention of Organized Crime Act, and in South Africa we call it preservation orders or interim restraints. Overseas they call it civil forfeiture. So there's a beautiful crossover between civil and, and criminal law. But what a lot of people are unaware of, and this goes to the capacity issues you spoke about, when America introduced the RICO Act, which is the Racketeering Act, of which our poker is largely based, they introduced that act in 1970. It was only used with effect in the early 1980s. One of the people that used it so effectively was Giuliani when he went after the New York mob. In South Africa, poker came about in 1998. By 1999, Willy Hofmeier had established the Asset Forfeiture Unit as a, as a component required in terms of this wonderful piece of legislation and had already gone after his first high-profile organized crime figure, Colin Stanton. So that just shows where our NPA was and where it is now and, and the, the devastating effect 
that capture had on us. Because if it took America more than a decade to actually execute orders in terms of a law that they had had from 1970, yet it took South Africa just a year to start implementing that. It shows how capacitated we were and how we can get back to that that stage. Yeah, um, I, I think we, we've, we've got tens of thousands of lawyers in different forms out there and, and they are brilliant and motivated and everyone's got an interest in our futures. I mean, literally, this is our futures at stake here and, and for our children to make sure that, that we root out corruption and, and that we all put shoulder to the wheel and we make it work. And I've also just had a WhatsApp message from one of our listeners and, and they said, um, it's Andrew, and, and he says to please um, remind everybody um, how our case law comes about because it's our tax money that pays for the courts, right? And, and courts are public access. So everyone that goes there, um, that judgment is public record. The, the, the court cases are freely available for you on SAFLI. Guys, I, I can't recommend it more that, that our case law, and it's, it's available freely and it's updated every day on SAFLI. Just go look up SAFLI, South African um, Free Legal Information Institute. You, you, they've got it on their main page. They load all the latest cases and you can just have a quick browse. There, there's nothing better to read our fascinating case law and you don't have, you don't need a law degree for it really so louis i'm not about to plug you but i am yes, yes. because i prefer waiting for your morning reports because safely i have found inherently difficult to navigate over the years and sadly there was a stage where we thought safely was going to get taken down because there wasn't funding for it and luckily, it survived that 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 time period where there was no funding for it. But the fact remains is that it's it's inherently difficult to navigate. It is a wonderful portal. Getting that case law out there and understanding it, however, is where you come in because safely it'll upload it. It's, I believe they're moving towards summaries as well. I don't think they, they're uploading summaries as yet or opinions as yet. But it's so critically important to have that understanding from a third party so that we can see how it can be applied. And just in the past two weeks, we get your daily report. Just in the past two weeks, we've received two of those reports that we could apply that were beneficial in respect of cases we were currently investigating. The one was an IP-related matter, and I forget what the other matter was. But both of them were exceptionally applicable. So having that report on a daily basis without having to go necessarily search what's been updated is great. But more importantly is having a resource, like I mentioned at the outset of this program, to be able to find case law which is applicable. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about the future of case law, the future of precedent, and why it's so exceptionally important for attorneys to be on top of their games. Because we've heard of attorneys being called out by presiding officers for not being aware of changes in case law, changes due to precedents, and in some issues they weren't even aware of amendments to acts. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're chatting today about the importance of case law and precedence. And I don't think um, anybody is as passionate as Louis when it comes to this. But I also don't think people understand the importance 
importance attributed to case law in South Africa. Now, Lou, you mentioned at the outset of the show that you and your partner can go through upwards of 4,000 matters, some of which are reported, some of which are unreportable. How do you get this? How do you get access to all of this? And how do you how do you go through this? Is it at least summarized to an extent by the transcriber? Or do you have to yourself summarize all of this information? Well, um, Chad, um, l- luckily there's two of us because otherwise we wouldn't cope. So um, what what I'm on the court mailing list. So the courts email us uh, cases in batches or, or when they hand it down. We get them from all across the divisions. Um, but um, also we, we do work very closely um, w- with the Safley stuff because Soyan monitors Safley because they sometimes get cases that we don't. So Safley is our backup to make sure we don't miss anything. And um, I find them awesome. Um, so, yeah, we, we, uh, we're getting somewhere between, it's well over 4,000 uh, cases a year and, and from, from directly from the courts and from Safley. And also, um, we're highly interactive with our subscribers. So when our subscribers win a case, they'll immediately email it to us and say, hey, check, check para 34 on spoliation. I think this is useful. And then the next day we share it with our customers. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to hint about how old I am, but, but when I started at Juta uh, a long time ago, it was different, hey? Um, things were slow. Like we received hard copy from the courts in print by post from our court reporters. And it was leisurely. We had tea. We chatted about the cases before we reported them. We, we, we fiddled with the head notes for ages, but that, it just doesn't cut it anymore. And I mean, Soen and I work absolutely flat out. Some of the judges do, bless their hearts, uh, do a summary. Some of the Joburg courts in Eastern Cape, they, they do do a summary and stuff. But most of the time, uh, we, we have to read this thing raw and then make a quick decision. Are, are we going to include it in tomorrow's 6 a.m. emailer or not? And when we started uh, last year, we 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 want we agreed with our subscribers then we had a, a early adopter group they they said three cases a day was going to be enough so so we we pick three very recent cases you'll notice in the emailer they often have judgment dates of the previous day so we we pick three really interesting cases that'll be of interest to a wide group but as the product developed we got a lot of feedback from our subscribers that three a day or 60 a month it wasn't enough like they were because they specialize now like decades ago um attorneys could be generalists you did your divorces your road accident fund claims you did your drunk driving you know you you handled your conveyancing and your 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 estates it was enough but but these days the 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 law is too hectic there's papaya there's digital issues uh, we've got too much legislation it's too fast paced so we've got a lot of guys that are specializing and, and your, your normal law reports would try to cater for all practitioners. It's, it's not enough now. So that's why we developed um, our 48 topics, which our customers go and they choose either DELIC, personal injury, RAF, administrative law. So then Soyan and I, we process every case that comes in the door. Now, the only ones we don't uh, include are two or three page refusals of leave to appeal because that's not worth sending to anybody. It's got nothing in it. But everything else we, we process and we allocate to our customers. Now, that's, in, that's anything that we don't cover in our three cases in the morning. So practitioners these days, 
you you have got to stay on top of the stuff because you cannot go to court on a wing and a prayer not keeping up with the stuff and your opponent or the judge is going to catch you literally with your pants down and say why didn't you know about this case i mean not only are you going to get embarrassed and you're, you're going to look bad for your client but you could get a costs order against you as well so Louis, I, I had an experience about two years ago it was at the beginning of COVID. And we, we put together a complainant statement in the correct format for the South African Police Services. It was escalated to the Hawks on the investigation of a matter. And to make everybody's life easier, we list the common law offenses, the statutory offenses, and then we, we mentioned case law. And the investigating officer came back to us and said um, he doesn't want the statement. We must just do a normal, simple statement. We said, why? He said, it's the prosecutor's job to go research the case law. And I said, why would I make the prosecutor's job harder? Instead of them having to research it, they can rather reference what we've put there. And it was an eye-opener for me how few people in South Africa understand the value. We're going to cut for a quick ad break. When we come back, we're going to chat more about case law and more specifically, specific case law and how people can obtain that from you. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to Louis Podbielski regarding the importance of case law. Louis runs an organization called louiscaselaw.com. And before we went to break, I mentioned an interesting situation I found myself in a couple of years ago where I inserted into a statement to the, to the state case law in an effort to try expedite the matter so that the prosecutor would be able to obtain that case law, see whether they agreed and allow it to be to form part of their case, only to be told by the investigating officer that it wasn't my job to include case law. Um, it's just my job to write a statement. And I think this is a, a stumbling block many people find is when they do and when they don't get to use case law. Now, Louis, one of the unique product offerings you have, I believe, is that if you are approached by a, a legal practitioner or somebody involved in the regulatory or compliance space or law enforcement, you can obtain for them case law that may be specific or similar to the matter that they are involved in. Yeah, no, we, we get a lot of requests um, for, for specific research on demand. And, and we, we're actually going to be uh, offering something very specific like that in early 2023, uh, in collaboration with some other good researchers. But where we finding um, huge uh, positive feedback now from our customers is, is on our 48 topics where they can go in and um, they just tick off whichever ones they're interested in. And then as soon as those cases reach me and Soyon, we allocate them to those topics and they go out to anybody who's ticked that. And, and what, look, I already summarized three cases a day and we, we can't summarize everything, not like four, four and a half thousand a year. But what we can do at least because we're reading the case is I pick out little nuggets from the case, uh, little extracts, and I, and I chuck it into the email with the, the full case citation and, the, and a link to the full case so that when they read it, they can at least get a heads up and they, and they can get quite a good idea of what the case is about and what happened in that case. And we, we've had huge... Um, positive feedback from this. Um, a lot of our subscribers have said that they were literally sitting with their file open at their desk uh, with, with a certain case 
and one of the alerts popped up in their inbox and it actually answered the issue that um that they needed so um, i mean we get a lot of this feedback like from calls and and emails and, and whatsapp messages because um Sohan and i make sure that we're highly accessible to our customers so all of our features we've built in in very close collaboration with the subscribers like the 48 topics that came from our subscribers we we just asked them what do you want and, th and they came back and i mean for about two weeks we, we were absolutely swamped we hardly slept because we were interacting so much and it turns out we did miss a few uh topics because i've, I've had a few cases come in and i haven't been able to plug them into the 48 so i'm building a, a a little handwritten list on my notepad so we're going to update that 48 and also we've noticed some of them get get consolidated so we're going to make sure that we keep evolving and adapting but i would say that the the key thing that we're finding here is is that we've got to be really really fast we've got to report these and get these cases to our customers really quickly and and also that we're not just covering only reportable cases which is only about 10 percent we, we are throwing our nets as wide as possible, like almost 100%. The only ones we aren't passing on are those very, very short, like empty cases that they're not really an issue. I'm hoping to see more of a crossover in respect to the way case law is used civilly or so criminally. We try yes. to, like I mentioned to you, introduce that with our statements, and we do that now. In every single statement we make in a criminal case, we reference or we cite a, a similar case or a ruling that was made to show how the modus operandi mirrors that of this particular case. But what we've seen in the past, of course, is from a civil perspective, the, the advocates will, of course, reference case law and the judges in their rulings will reference case law and even in the criminal context we'll see the learned um, judge or the magistrates in the lower courts also reference similar cases in the past we're not seeing however when a case is enrolled by the mpa that much effort in terms of referencing similar cases in all your years of doing this, you must have come across some pearls. You must have come across, you mentioned the word nugget earlier. Mention to us something of late that really struck a chord with you where you noted something and was like, well, well wow, that, that really does explain it and sets it out. Well, be because we read so many, I, I, I have quite a few like that. I, I just... This morning, and, and I'm gonna, it's going to be in my tomorrow's emailer as, as one of those extras, a, a judge came across one of these old Latin uh, principles on a spoliation case and, interpretate, and another one on interpretation of a contract. But I, I'm, I'm finding they, they, we, our law is so vast. I learn something virtually from every single case um, that I read. And there, there was a case just not not so long ago which which really struck me you know that that old there's an old principle that the bloody hand can't inherit so so like if if you kill your spouse um in order to get their inheritance it's an old rule obviously coming back from from hundreds of years ago that you know you you ought not to inherit if if you've actually killed them but there, there was a really lengthy case of of a, of a woman who who had arranged for her husband to to get killed and and she was uh, had had fraudulently um, made another will in which she got all all of the power and she got made executrix, and it was a really long case and and it was absolutely fascinating read where 
where this old principle was given like new life. And, and we, we shared that on LinkedIn and, and we, had, we had such interest from it because the, the judge really unpacked the rule that um, the bloody hand should not inherit and, and gave us really good guidance on it in, in a modern context. So, um, and there, there was all kinds of fascinating stuff about the police evidence and how they found her out um, and, and how one of the guys um, that she recruited Maybe he had a twinge of conscience, or maybe he just realized the game was up. And then he sang like a canary, and then he, he didn't get the paid. For them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't paid. <laughs> That's <laughs> so normally does... the turning point. Yeah. So uh, out of the recent cases, I, I think I found that one um, the most fascinating. Um, it, it, the, actually, the family law cases and um, the the squabbling over wills. Uh, that that tends to does relieve that shows you the dark underbelly of human nature, and and I, got, I guess that's what keeps uh, all of us in the legal profession and business. What you just said there is so fascinating because one of and, and and I've attended two conferences of late where it was discussed by financial institutions that one of the highest rates of fraud in South Africa at the moment is death-related claims where people have taken out policies and then hired syndicates to take out that person. And there's entire syndicates working it. So that I'm going to be referring to Garth de Klerk from the Insurance Crime Bureau because they've actually set up a unit um, on behalf of the long-term insurers, the life insurers, to investigate this influx in deaths where it's believed it was specifically for the benefit of the beneficiary. And it's, it's unbelievable what an increase it is. And South Africa, we, we had a, a chap from the UK and a chap from Australia um, on conference with us last week. And we were discussing financial crime and cybercrime. And we said, what have you picked up in South Africa that, that you could learn from us or that we could learn from you? What, what's been the most surprising thing? And they said the level of violence. They said if they have a, a crime similar to what we've just described where somebody dies for the sake of an insurance policy, generally there wouldn't be a body. It would be fabricated. It would all be on documentation. They said they were so shocked that in South Africa there's actually bodies. So it really was a shocker. We're going to take our last air break of the day. When we come back, we want to find out more about your services and how people can get in contact with you. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. Thank you for staying tuned to Chai FM Broadcasting in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM, worldwide on chaifm.com. We've had a very interesting conversation today with Louis Podbielski regarding the importance of case law and precedent. And now while we wrap up, I want Louis to just explain to who this product is offered, why this product is offered, and how you can find out more about this product. Oh, thanks, Chad. Um, well, we, we, our subscribers are, are mostly legal practitioners, active ones, and we've got a whole lot of judges uh, on our subscriber list too, um, advocates, attorneys, uh, in-house counsel. But there's a huge part of, of our subscriber base that are, are just business people or students or people that are just interested in case law. And um, I can't emphasize this enough, um, especially for us South African citizens. It is essential that you keep up to speed with case law. Like on Friday, the Constitutional Court gave a very important uh, judgment on the renewal of firearm licenses that if if it expires, you can actually go and renew it. You don't just lose it forever, um, as the police were trying to push. So... Um, you know, th- okay, that, that's important for gun owners. But I mean, every single day, there's case law being handed out now 
which not only is it interesting to read and, and it's fascinating and it teaches you about the law, even for lawyers or non-lawyers, but you need the, the, these court cases, they're, they're as a result of parties with an issue going to court and then getting a decision. So our, our case law is, is a very important lens on our society, where it is now and, and what the law is. And I mean, we, we, we put out cases on neighbor issues, on eviction, a lot of family law stuff, labor law stuff um, about dismissals and, and unfair uh, victimization or, or getting compensation. It um, and, and we try to summarize it as easily as possible and, and pick out the really important bits uh, to, to so that people can easily get to grips with what's going to be in that case. So, yeah, I, I would I would recommend it to anybody. And um, we're very easy to find. Just just Google Louis case law. It's louiscaselaw.com and, and all of our contact details and the information are on the website. Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's a conversation that we could have for ages because it's just so very fascinating. And I know for a fact that going forward, every time there's a new ruling, um, one of our producers will be getting you for a couple of minute insert during uh, our actuality shows just so that you can break down the importance of that case law for us. Thank you for the product. It's a great product. And um, I'm sure that come 2023, when you have the research division in place, it's just going to grow from strength to strength. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chad. No, we, we have a few things in the wings that are being developed. Um, so, yeah, as they say, watch the space. That was Louis Podbielski from louiscaselaw.com. We'll be chatting to him again in the not-too-distant future because the South African legal arena is such that something is happening every single day. And always remember, the law is something organic. It's something that's living and it impacts on each and every one of us. Thank you so much for joining us. We won't be live next week. It is Shavot. We'll be back on the 13th. And it'll be a very important show for our residents and our listeners from our community because we're going to be chatting about the importance of road closures, the legalities of road closures, and how it can impact on crime in an area. I'll be back on the 13th. My name is Chad Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us right here on Confidential Brief.